Hello. Welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Selim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now Carl's going to teach us from this passage. Well, have you noticed all the hype in the last few weeks about the 20th anniversary of the Sydney Olympics? And last Friday night, you might have seen it was the much hyped 20th anniversary of the most hyped event in the whole Olympics. You were probably not even born at the time, but you probably know of the hype surrounding Kathy Freeman's 400 metre run. It was incredible. How could there not be hype? when an outstanding Indigenous Australian athlete was poised to win gold at her home Olympics in front of an adoring home crowd. The hype was growing a long way out from the Olympics, but the opening ceremony, well, it put the hype into overdrive when Kathy Freeman was revealed as the athlete chosen to light the Olympic cauldron to get the whole Olympic Games underway. The anticipation then about Kathy's race just kept growing through the Olympics. It grew and grew until it, it almost threatened to crush her. Could she cope with the weight of expectation? Could she live up to the hype? Well, history shows that Kathy lived up to the hype. The hype was justified. She won gold and she won a place in many hearts, many Australian sport-loving hearts. 20 years on. The hype around Kathy Freeman still lingers a little bit, doesn't it? TV shows, interviews last Friday, looking back at the race from 20 years further down the track. But you know, Kathy Freeman wasn't the only Australian woman running in the 400 metres event at the Sydney Olympics. There wasn't as much hype around Lee Naylor, who ran a respectable heat time. There she is. 
and she scraped through into the second round. Unfortunately, Lee then ran the slowest time of all the competitors in the second round. She didn't go through to the semis or the final. There wasn't as much hype around Lee Naylor on the 20th anniversary of the race. There was no TV special about her. Hype is a bit like that, isn't it? There is often a good reason for hype to build around certain people. The hype around Kathy Freeman wasn't just by accident, was it? She was a very gifted runner. She'd won the 400 metres event at the World Championships in both 1997 and 1999. There was a serious reason for all the hype. There is often substance behind hype. And so, why all the hype around Jesus? In 20 years, the hype around Kathy Freeman has calmed down a little bit, hasn't it? But the hype around Jesus still goes on, not just 20 years after the event, not just 200 years after the event, but 2,000 years after the event. The hype still goes around Jesus. Today we're asking why. Why the hype about Jesus? Why are we still talking about Jesus 2,000 years after he walked this earth? What is the substance behind the hype? What are the reasons for the hype? And is the hype justified? Well, let's get into it. We're at point one, first century hype. And the passage starts out with a lot of baptizing going on in the Jordan River. Grab your Bibles, have a look, verses 22 to 24. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Jesus and his disciples are baptizing in the Jordan River and not too far away, John the Baptist and his crew are also baptizing people in the same river. In fact, John has moved to a location with lots of water because let's face it, you don't want to be baptized in mud. Now, we need to be careful here that we understand that this is not Christian baptism. Christianity, in a sense, still hasn't yet been born at this point. John told us in chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish people. This is not Christian baptism. This is Jewish baptism. These Jewish people, they're not being baptized to become Christians. This baptism is about Jewish people going out to repent of their sins, to be baptized and to turn back to God in readiness for the coming of Israel's Messiah. And all the Gospels tell us that there was a fairly large initial groundswell of enthusiasm from amongst those first century Israelites for this kind of baptism. The people of Israel seemed very keen to prepare for the coming of their Messiah. But you know, we humans, we are a competitive lot, aren't we? We seem to be able to compete over nearly anything. Have you noticed how many ridiculous things we have turned into competitive sports? Did you know that wife carrying is a competitive sport? You can also compete at outhouse racing. Cheese rolling. This is the start of the cheese rolling race. This is a little bit further down the hill. It gets pretty ugly pretty quickly. They chase that cheese down a seriously steep hill. But there's also competition sleeping. Can you believe it? And even a crazy sport called spikeball. We humans seem to be able to turn anything into a competition. So what about competitive baptizing? Has Jesus turned baptism into a competition sport. Let's keep reading verses 25 and 26. 
Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Has the activity of baptism become a bizarre turf war between Jesus and his posse and John the Baptist's West Side crew? This little demarcation dispute must have a purpose in the passage beyond just stirring up rivalry, right? Why do you think we're being told about this potential competition? Here's an opportunity for you to have a chat with your group or with someone nearby, and you may have to draw on your inner art student to answer this one. There's the question. Why do you think we are being told about this potential competition? Take a couple of minutes in your group. Enjoy the chat. This potential competition is setting us up to see a very clear answer. This one is a no contest because John knows his job. Let's have a look at it. Verses 27 and 28. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. There is no competition here because John's job is to come before the Christ. John has been given this role by God. That's where the given from heaven language comes from, isn't it? It's God who has given John the Baptist the job of going before Jesus, the Christ, to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of their Christ. Now, you might be aware that the word Christ is the New Testament Greek word for the equivalent Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah means Christ. And if we wanted to transfer them into, I guess, modern English, we would probably say they mean God's chosen king. John knows that he is not the Christ, this Messiah King. John is very clear that his job is to prepare the way for the king. Now, have you, um, you've probably seen those one job memes. You know, you had one job. Uh, they're, they're great. I love them. Like this one, you had one job. It's fantastic. Or this one, um, this one's brilliant as well. Uh, this one, the next one looks like it comes from our UNSW's very own Red Centre, but I don't think so. And this final one reminds me why I love engineers so much. Thank you, engineers. One job. They're great memes because they highlight the one thing in each situation that you really had to get right. John the Baptist had one job and he got it right. Have a look at verses 29 and 30. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John sees his role like the, the role of the best man for the bridegroom. Now, if you've been to a few weddings, you've probably already heard that old joke in the best man's speech. Why is she marrying him if I'm clearly the best man? Yep, it's funny every time. If, you've ever had, if you ever have to choose someone to be your best man, can I give you a little piece of advice? You want to choose someone who's not going to compete to marry the bride. That'll go better for you. John's job was to go before the Messiah to prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah. John knew that it wasn't about him. John knew that the Messiah King, that was the important one. John was the wingman. 
who rejoiced as the bridegroom came for his bride. And because John got his job right, he actually helps us start to work out why all the hype about Jesus. Jesus isn't just a random baptizer encroaching on the territory of John the Baptist. Jesus is the great Messiah King that the people of Israel have been waiting for. John is testifying that Jesus really is the one. The arrival of Jesus means that Israel's Messiah has come to his people. Now, why is that good news for the people of Israel back then and for you and me today? Well, we're at point two, Jesus and ultimate truth. This passage immediately starts telling us why it's good news. Have a look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is described as the one who has come from above. And this isn't the first time that we've seen this kind of language in John's gospel. You might remember back right at the start of the book, John spoke about Jesus being with God in the beginning and being sent from God. Then just earlier in chapter 3, Jesus talked in words like this with Nicodemus, that Jewish religious leader who didn't understand how people could be born again by God. Jesus here is being spoken of as the one who has come down from heaven, come down from God. And that is really good news for us because he has already seen what no other person has ever seen. See, if you have only ever been on earth, how can you possibly know what heaven is like? If you are earthbound, how can you know how to get to heaven? Because Jesus has come down from heaven, he knows what he's talking about when he speaks about how to get to heaven. Jesus has insider knowledge about heaven, if you like. Now, you probably know what it's like to have insider knowledge about something. You probably know things about the home where you grew up that few other people probably know. In the house that I grew up in, there was a secret safe built into one of the walls of the house. Hardly anyone knows it's there. But I grew up there. I've got insider knowledge. I can tell you what the safe is like and how to get to it. If you want to know what heaven is like and how to get to it, then only one person can give you that information. The one who has come from above, come from heaven. And because Jesus has come from God, he speaks for God. Have a look at it. Verses 32 to 34. He bears witness. This is about Jesus. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Jesus not only tells us about heaven, Jesus also speaks the very words of God. Jesus speaks for the God who sent him. Jesus speaks to reveal things that God wants his people to hear. Jesus is like the heaven-sent spokesperson for God. Jesus says what God wants to say. And that means that to believe Jesus is to believe God. But it also means to disbelieve Jesus is to disbelieve the God who sent him and who speaks through him. And it seems as though that disbelief is going to be more than just a hypothetical possibility. 
Can you see that verse 32 says something that really stands out as astounding? No one receives his testimony. What? No one receives his testimony. Wow. Jesus is expecting a lot of rejection. But come to think of it, that's exactly what John told us would happen right back at the introduction to his gospel. Just have a look from chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. The true light that's describing Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. John the Baptist is testifying very clearly, this guy, he's the long-promised Messiah King. But the people of Israel, who've been long awaiting the arrival of their Messiah King, are not going to receive him. How do you think that's going to end up? How do you think that's going to play out as we move forward in the gospel? What will this rejection lead to? And a little bonus CBS question, why is this rejection important for your salvation? Make sure you keep reading through the gospel to see where this rejection ends up. Now, the last thing we need to see in this section is the connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Can you see it there in verse 34? For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. It shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit is involved here Because we've seen so many Old Testament prophecies promising that when the Messiah came, he would be equipped with God's spirit for his important royal role. It also shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit here is linked to the words of God. Those two things always go together. Like Woody and Buzz Lightyear, like Sherlock Holmes and Watson, like Nitro and Glycerin, the the word of God always goes with the spirit of God. Jesus has been given the spirit without measure. So he is fully equipped to speak the words of God faithfully. Now, all of this says that you can trust what Jesus has got to say. He's come from heaven to speak on God's behalf and he's spirit equipped to do it well. This guy is worth listening to. So are you listening? Or do you have a good reason not to listen? The last verse in this passage says that it's pretty important. We're at point three, Jesus and eternal life. And let's have a look at this important last verse. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This verse is holding out the promise of life to people who believe. But it's also holding out the promise of judgment for people who do not believe. Now, this is obviously an important thing for every one of us to consider. Belief in the Bible isn't just an intellectual head thing. Believing as a concept in the Bible is not just like believing in gravity. Uh, I intellectually agree with the principle of gravity, even though I can't see it or touch it, I, I, I intellectually agree. I fully intellectually agree that gravity is a true and important force in our world today, But that belief doesn't change my life very much. When we talk about believing in Jesus or believing according to the Bible, we aren't just talking about intellectually assenting that he existed or even intellectually assenting that he was God in the flesh. Believing in Jesus is more about a relationship 
with Jesus. It is believing that Jesus is God's chosen king for the world and entering into a relationship with him as your king. That, in a sense, is what a Christian is. Someone who believes that Jesus is God's chosen king for the world and who therefore submits to Jesus as the king of their life. But I don't know if you notice something a bit strange in this verse, verse 36. There was an interesting change in the verb in the middle of the contrast as those two opposite reactions to Jesus were explained. You see, I expect the verse to say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. That's what I expected to say. I expect two opposite reactions. Believe, disbelieve. But the verse contrasts believe and obey. Why do you think that is? This would make a really interesting discussion question in your small group. Why not do it? Why not take two minutes to have a quick chat about it? Here's the question on the screen. Why do you think believe is contrasted with not obey? Go for it. Well, I hope that was an interesting conversation in your group. I think there are lots of things you might have discussed there, lots of answers to this question. But the one I want to focus in on is this issue of obeying God. You see, a lot of people who aren't even Christians, wouldn't call themselves Christians, still try to obey God. They might look back to the Ten Commandments, perhaps, or, or maybe it might be what they call the golden rule from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or it might even be in other ways that they try to obey God. But this little contrast in verse 36 Gives us, a, <coughs> excuse me, gives us a big hint that the obedience that God most wants from people like you and me is to obey the command to believe in Jesus. So don't spend your life trying to obey all kinds of other commands from God and neglect the one most important command to believe in Jesus as your king and submit to his kingship in your life. This important verse tells us that the first command to get right is to believe in Jesus. Now, um, and when you do this, you will have life with God, the verse tells us. Now, you might be thinking that you already have life, you already breathe, you already exist, you already have life. And to an extent, you are right. God has graciously given all human beings this opportunity to live in his world. But if you think a hundred years in this world is all there is to life, then you are selling yourself way short. Again, I think the contrast will be helpful for us. The contrast here is eternal life versus not seeing life. It's almost as though when compared to eternal life with God, this momentary living experience in this world is basically not even seeing life. Earlier in this very chapter, you might have already come across the most famous verse in the Bible. And it's about this very contrast. It's up on the screen. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, there's our believe word, in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, do you see the difference that believing in Jesus makes? Life rather than perishing. Perishing is obviously a fancy way of talking about dying. But I guess you might wonder why death is the result of not believing in Jesus. 
Again, that little verse 36 helps us out. Can you see that the person who doesn't obey God by believing in Jesus will not see life? And the next few words tell us why. It's because the wrath or the anger of God remains on the person who refuses to believe in Jesus. Now, this is really important point to understand. Because God is God and you and I are not God, he has the right to determine how we humans should live in his world. And when he has generously sent us a saviour king who loved us so much that he gave his own life to die for us at the cross, we should believe in him and submit to him as our king. When God has done all of that for us and we turn around and don't give a damn about that saviour king, you can understand why God would be angry, can't you? If you went out of your way to do something really kind for me, and I basically just disregarded it and disregarded you, you would be angry too. God is rightly angry that we disregard the Saviour King that he sent to die for us. And that anger will lead to death and judgment unless we repent and ask for God's forgiveness. That is really what Christianity is all about. We've all done it. We've all failed to respond to God's saviour the way that we should have. And we all deserve that anger, that wrath, that judgment of death. But the good news of Christianity is that when we turn back to God in repentance and ask for his forgiveness, because of the death of Jesus, God loves to offer us forgiveness. And God is so kind that he loves to forgive us when we trust in Jesus. And he loves to give us eternal life when we trust in the death of Jesus. So I hope today has helped you to understand just a little bit better why all the hype is around Jesus. He came from God to speak for God as the great Messiah King. He was rejected by his own people all the way to death on a cross. And yet through that death on a cross, he took the anger and judgment of God that you and I deserved so that we don't have to take it ourselves in death and judgment. And if we turn back to Jesus, believe in him and ask for his forgiveness, then we can have eternal life through him right now rather than the eternal death and judgment that we really deserve for disregarding God and his saviour king. Why all the hype around Jesus? Because through him, your life can be transformed forever from facing the judgment of God to living securely in eternal life with God. There is substance behind the hype and it is a substance that can change your life forever. Now today might be the first day that you've ever heard this. Or maybe you've been thinking about this for a little while, but you still haven't quite committed to Jesus. You're wondering whether you should make this big change in your life. Either way, today you might want what Jesus is offering. So I'm going to show you the kind of prayer that you could pray to ask Jesus to give you this eternal life. These, this prayer that I'm going to show you, they're not magic words. What matters more is the intent of your heart rather than finding the exact right words. But here is the kind of prayer that you could pray to God to put your belief in Jesus and to receive the eternal life that we've been talking about. Let me read it through to you first so you can see what we're going to pray and then we'll pray it afterwards. 
It goes like this, Dear God, I'm sorry for disregarding you and your chosen king. Please forgive me for treating you this way. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the saviour king. Thank you that he died on the cross to take my judgment. Thank you for raising him back to life as the eternal king. Please help me to believe in Jesus as my personal saviour and king. Amen. They're the kind of words that you can say to God today to receive Jesus and to believe in him. If you want to do it, why don't you pray along with me now? Let's pray. Dear God, I am sorry for disregarding you and your chosen king. Please forgive me for treating you this way. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the Saviour King. Thank you that he died on the cross to take my judgment. Thank you for raising him back to life as the eternal King. Please help me to believe in Jesus as my personal Saviour and King. Amen. Well, if you have prayed that prayer today and really meant it between you and God, rest assured, God loves to hear that prayer and to answer that prayer. And in a sense, you've started a whole new life with God under the kingship or lordship of Jesus today. And we'd love to help you as you start out on this new life with Jesus as your king. So do please let us know on the feedback slip that you've made this decision. You've made this change in your life. We'd love to get in touch and talk about how we can help you as you start out on this new life with Jesus. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on iTunes to automatically download our most recent podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Campus Bible Study, you can visit our website, campusbiblestudy.org.